cotton-headed ninny muggins. I love homemade cookie dough. And yes, I eat it out of the bowl. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about Christmas again. It's that time of year we're inundated with Christmas all around. Besides, we're always thinking about Christmas around this time, right? Christmas is everywhere. Christmas shopping, Christmas cookies, Christmas movies, Christmas carols. You can't get away from it. Not that that's a bad thing. I mean, Christmas is an important part of our lives. That was especially so when we were kids. And as I was talking about in last week's episode, it was super important to us kids. We were waiting for Christmas. We were so excited about what we were going to get. We had things we wanted, but we also knew that Santa Claus or our parents or both, because at the time we didn't know, But somebody was going to surprise us with cool gifts. We never knew what kind of toys we were going to get. We never knew what kind of new things were going to be found under the Christmas tree. But we were always anticipating it. We were always looking forward to it. And as I was doing last week's episode about the build-up to Christmas, I did start to talk about a couple of the things that I'd gotten over the years. And as I started talking about it, it started reminding me of other things that I'd gotten over the years. I mean, last week I started talking about Hot Wheels and a kind of a flying game called You Fly It. And I actually have what I recorded last week. I'm going to put that in right after I do the intro here. But as I was talking about them, I started remembering some of the other cool toys that I got over the years. Some of them were ones that I didn't ask for. Some of them were ones that I really, really wanted. And it struck me as I started thinking about them that they're toys that really don't exist. A lot of these things just simply don't exist anymore. Yeah, kids still play board games and there are cool things for kids to play with. But so much of our stuff is electronic now. Some of the simple games and some of the simple toys that we had, they're just gone. So I wanted to tell you about a few of those things today. First, I wanted to tell you about Hot Wheels and You Fly It. We got Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels were awesome. Hot Wheels were cool because not only did you get the little car, but in those early days of Hot Wheels, you could buy track and run your car down the track. And they had a finishing gate that you could put up at the end of the track. So you could run two tracks side by side with two Hot Wheels. You'd slide the finishing gate up the track, which I'll explain in just a second. And the first car through triggered the gate and you could know for sure who won because the first car would trigger the gate. Now the track, it was just a piece of plastic. It was a piece of plastic with sides. And you would get maybe 12 sections of track when you bought the Hot Wheels race set. There would be a little starting gate that you would mount on the dining room table. And when I say mount, they had a little plastic clamp. It's not like you had to screw it in. You would just clamp it on the table. And then the track, you could connect up to the launch gate, the starting gate. And then there were these little tabs that would connect the sections of track. And so with 12 sections of track, which were about two or three feet long a piece, you would have six sections for each side. And then the finish gate would slide up on the two parallel sets of track. And it had a little device where you could set the finish flag up And there was a little tab that the cars would nudge when they went through the finish gate. And the first one to nudge the tab would make the flag fall that way. So the two tracks were parallel. You would start at the dining room table at the top. It would be downhill. Gravity ruled because that's the only thing that powered the cars. You'd push the button, release the cars. They would take off at the same time. And they'd shoot down this plastic track, go through the finish gate. And the first one to hit the little tab knocked the gate over. And that's how you determined who won. And this is what we called fun. Because you got to do that once, then you had to go pick up the car, bring it back up to the top, start it again, rinse and repeat. 
It wasn't motorized. It was Hot Wheels' car on a plastic track that would roll down the plastic track, through the finish gate, and then out onto the kitchen floor. But that was cool. You had race cars. You had a starting gate. You had a finish gate. That was cool. The other cool thing? It was a toy called the U-Fly-It. You can look up the old ads on YouTube if you want to, but basically what it was was a plastic airplane that had a little hook on it that attached to a fishing line. Once again, the dining room table came into play. You would clamp one end of the fishing line to the dining room table. Then you'd feed the fishing line through your house across the dining room. You'd sit on the other side of the room. And on the floor, you would put your joystick. And the fishing line was attached to the joystick. So you have the fishing line at a high end at the dining room table and at a low end where the control was while you're sitting on the floor. Then you would take the plane, you'd put the hook on the fishing line, and there was a catch up there that you could attach the plane to. Then you'd go down and sit at the joystick. If you pulled gently on the joystick, it would release the plane and it would slide down the fishing line towards where you were sitting. Now also in the U-Fly-It kit was a mock-up of a runway. When I say mock-up, it was a piece of cardboard colored to look like a runway with like 27 on it. So you're landing on runway 27. And you would put that runway right near where your joystick was under the fishing line. And the object was to fly the plane on this fishing line down the line until you were even with the runway and then have the plane touch down on the runway and land smoothly. And you would get to do one flight and then you'd have to get up, go hook the plane back up again, go back and sit down and do it again. And this too was called fun. But don't get me wrong, it was. It was fun. I loved that stuff. I was flying a plane. It was really cool. You would hook that plane up on the stick that was on your dining room table. You'd go sit at the joystick. You'd pull back gently. The plane would start sliding down the fishing line. And in your imagination, you're trying to land it on a runway. They had other things that they could add in there too. They had a parcel pickup thing where you could dip the plane really quickly, try to pick up a parcel, then pull it back up and then try to land. And you had to do this all in the space of like three seconds because gravity is in control here. That was a tricky maneuver. Once you released the plane, it was flying and you had three seconds until it got to the landing strip and then you were done. And if you missed it, you had to go reset and start it again. But I loved that. I thought that was awesome. So those are a couple of the cool toys that I got when I was a kid, but there were some other things that I either got as a kid or really wanted as a kid and got to play with at other friends' houses. There were some really cool games that we got to play with. And remember, this is a time before electronics. Now, by the time that I was a teenager, Radio Shack had started putting out some handheld, what they called computer games. I'll talk about them at another time. Those were pretty cool too. They were like precursors to the Game Boy. But this isn't about those kind of things. We had practical toys that you went out in the yard and played with, you went in the garage and played, you sat at the card table and played board games. Those were the things that we played with. The other thing to remember is this is back from a time when boy toys and girl toys were a definitive thing. There were definite boy toys, there were definite girl toys. And don't forget, a lot of the girl toys were built with a mindset that girls were supposed to become happy homemakers and boys were supposed to be, well, boys. See, back when I was a kid, society was grooming us for our future roles. You were going to be a happily married housewife, raise two kids, have a white picket fence, and a dog. You're going to grow up to be a businessman. You're going to go out every day, slave hard from eight to five, come home, and be a good dad. Except the be a good dad part was not necessarily a guarantee. You just had to be the breadwinner. Mom had to take care of the house. So those were the roles that we had to grow up with, and a lot of the toys were designed that way. Like, girls always had Susie Homemaker toys. Those were always advertised heavily. Susie Homemaker Toys was a line of miniature appliances, basically. They had a miniature oven. 
They had a miniature vacuum cleaner. They had a miniature hairdryer. They had a tiny blender and a refrigerator and a sewing machine. And little girls were supposed to get these toys and practice becoming happy little housewives. That's what Susie Homemaker was all about. And they were big. People bought them. Girls played with them. That's what you did. The girls had the chatty Kathy doll. She would teach you to be a mom. It was a little girl doll. She was chatty Kathy because you could pull a string and she would say little baby phrases or little girl phrases. I don't actually remember because we never had one. I had a sister, but she wasn't into dolls. I mean, my sister did get a Barbie. Barbie was another big doll. But I think my sister helped create the tomboy Barbie because my sister was not a doll person. But Barbies were another obvious girl toy. And then, of course, for me, the ever-popular Easy Bake Oven. We actually got an Easy Bake Oven. My sister got it because she was the girl. And we had an Easy Bake Oven in the house. And it actually came with little cake tins, little mixing bowls, and it had little boxed cake mixes where you could make little tiny cakes. And you could actually use the little Easy Bake Oven to bake. It took a 60-watt light bulb. You put the 60-watt light bulb in the oven, slid your little cake pan in there with your little prepared cake batter, and you cooked a teeny tiny cake over a 60-watt bulb. Seriously, that's how it worked. We loved it for the cake. It was a teeny bite-sized piece of cake. It was somewhere between the size of a small Reese's peanut butter cup and a large M&M. That's how big your cake was. It took maybe three minutes to bake in the Easy Bake Oven. And my sister used it and I used it. I think my brother used it too. We used it because we got cake. We didn't care about the baking thing. It's not a Susie Homemaker thing. We were getting cake. Teeny tiny pieces of cake. But we weren't interested in the Easy Bake Oven, and quite honestly, in my family, we weren't interested in the girl toys. We were interested in cool toys. And that went for my brother, my sister, and me. We just liked what we liked, and we all liked the cool things. Of course, we all had our own definition of what cool was. I was more into board games or action-type games. Now, my parents knew that, and so I got some pretty cool stuff over the years. One of the things that I remember getting was a thing called Skittle Bowl. People of a certain age may remember Skittle Bowl. Skittle Bowl was a weird little game by today's standards. It actually wasn't little at all. It was a big game. What you had was a tray. The tray was probably two feet wide by two feet wide. And there was about a two inch gap around the edge of the tray. And in the middle of the tray was a triangular area where you would set up these pegs that were about, I'd say, three inches tall. The pegs had an indentation on each end. And there was a little triangular platform in the middle of the tray where the pegs would fit onto these little protrusions sticking out of the tray. And there was 10 pegs and you'd set them up just like you'd set up bowling pins. So you had that triangular setup of pegs. And then on one side of the tray was a long pole. The pole itself was probably two feet tall. There was a chain extending off of the pole and it was on a swivel at the top of the pole. At the end of the chain was a wooden ball. And the object of Skittle Bowl was to knock down all the pegs. But you couldn't just swing the ball directly at the pegs. No, that's not how the game worked. You would situate yourself at what would be considered the back of the pegs. So you have the one peg at the front and the four pegs at the back. You'd be sitting behind the four pegs. Then you had to swing the ball around the pole in an arc big enough so that it would come in right even with the head pin or the head peg to be accurate. And if you hit it right, if you swung it right, you would get a strike. And you scored it exactly the same way you scored bowling. And just like in regular bowling, you'd get two shots to clear the tray. We loved this game. This was a fun game. All of the kids came over to our house to play Skittle Bowl. We had Skittle Bowl tournaments. We ripped through the scoring sheets that came with that game probably within the first two days. We just had pages and pages of notebook paper after that. We played that thing for years. Skittle Bowl was awesome. There was another action game that we loved. Now, we didn't have this one, but one of the neighbor kids did. 
Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Now, you can still find Rock'em Sock'em Robots, but they first came out when I was a kid. Now, if you've never seen Rock'em Sock'em Robots, you have to picture a plastic boxing ring. The boxing ring was maybe 18 inches square. And of course, they had the rope around it. And then in the middle of the boxing ring were two giant robots. I mean, giant in comparison with the size of the ring. The robots were maybe two feet tall. And on each side of the ring, each person had a controller. I call it a controller. They were really just buttons that you could push. Two buttons on each side. One for the right fist of the robot, one for the left fist of the robot. And the controller moved around within the confines of the plastic guard where it fit underneath the ring. So you could slide your robot back and forth and you could use the buttons to throw a right or a left punch. And each of the robots had a head, obviously. And if you hit your punch just right on the square of the other robot's jaw, his head would pop up. And that's how you knew you won, if you knocked the other guy's block off. And that was the tagline. I knocked his block off. God, I remember the commercials with that in it. But yeah, you'd move your robot back and forth, and you'd hit your left and your right buttons, and you'd try to duck in as much as you could. I mean, you weren't really ducking. You were just moving the robot back and forth. But it felt like you were ducking. It felt like you were boxing. And you'd hear click, 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 click. And then all of a sudden, the head would pop up, and you'd hear, and that would be the end of the round. The downside to Rock'em Sock'em Robots was it was only two players, so you could only get two people at a time, and you'd have a waiting list. And if you got knocked out, you were back at the back of the line. But when you got your turn, oh boy, you had fun. Another two-person action game we had, and I don't remember asking for this, but I remember getting it, and we loved this game. Another game we played the hell out of. Now, it's not one you'd see these days. It just wouldn't happen. But this was an Old West game called Gunfight at the OK Corral. Now, how do you make a game out of the gunfight at the OK Corral? Well, I'm going to tell you. What you had was a long plastic board. I want to say it was about three feet long, maybe a foot wide. They, of course, had to have it look like an old western town, so there's a plastic insert that you could put on one side of the board. And they had things like hotel and saloon, sheriff's office, all along this panoramic plastic view. And then at each end of the board, where the players would sit, there was a plastic cactus and a plastic rock. And these acted as your cover for the actual game. At the end of the board where the players would sit, there was a plastic six-shooter. Well, a replica of a six-shooter. It looked like a pistol. But instead of bullets, you would load marbles, little steel marbles, into the top. Giant ball bearings, I guess. I always thought of them as marbles, but they're probably more accurately described as ball bearings. And they fit perfectly into the gun. And then coming out the bottom of the gun was a little ramp, so that when you pulled the trigger on the gun, it would shoot those ball bearings across the plastic tray. Now, mounted on the end of the gun was a little plastic cowboy. The little plastic cowboy fit perfectly just above the chute where the marbles came out. And on the bottom of his foot was a tab. And if you hit that tab on the opposing cowboy just right, he would pop off, and that meant you won the gunfight. But you had to hit that thing perfectly square. Now, your six-shooter would go back and forth along the edge of the board so you could hide behind the cactus or the rock. And the challenge was you had to come out from cover to shoot, but you had to get behind cover so you didn't get shot. Now, when you shot your marbles at the other guy, they would collect in the tray in front of him, and his marbles would collect in front of you. So you could grab those marbles and keep reloading your gun. And if you had a long shootout going, it could go on for a while. And yes, you could employ the hoarding strategy where you kept all the marbles and the other guy wasn't able to shoot, but then the other guy would just hide behind the rock until you shot because there was no reason for him to come out. I mean, the thinking was, why would I come out and shoot at you if you've got all the marbles? I'll wait here till you shoot. So the hoarding strategy didn't work, but it was tried a few times. But yeah, for us, this was an action-packed game. 
This was quick. This was fun. We were shooting guns. It was really cool. And one of the little tricks we learned playing that game was that there was a way you could pull the trigger where you could fire off a super shot. I'm not sure exactly how the bullets or the ball bearings got ejected or fired. It was some kind of lever mechanism, and I'm sure it was spring-loaded. But if you caught the marble just right, if you caught the ball bearing just right in the chute as you were pulling the trigger, it would go out like as a high-powered shot, which you didn't have to hit the guy square with. You just had to nick him, and his cowboy would go flying off the table. It was a totally random thing. There wasn't any way to predict when the power shot would come, and there wasn't any real way to make it happen. If you were lucky enough as you were pulling the trigger, you could feel it. It was like a feeling in your finger. Ah, oh, I got the power shot. So you'd stop shooting for a second. And then when your opponent got out from behind the cactus, you'd fire off that power shot. Boom. That's how you won. Oh yeah, you figure out the strategies. That was another great game. We played that one for years. That was one of the things about the games. Gunfight at the OK Corral, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, Skittle Bowl. We would just keep playing them. It's not like games these days. You might play it three times and then put it away. We played these things forever. We played them until they broke or wore out. And I think that's what happened with Gunfight at the OK Corral. I think we just wore the guns out because we played it so often. Another one we wore out. Now, this was a multiplayer game. I mean, we think of multiplayer games these days as something you go online for. Yeah, I'm going to go play some Call of Duty online. Multiplayer when I was a kid meant more than two kids could play at a time. Like Monopoly is a multiplayer game. Well, one of our big multiplayer action games was a game called Battling Tops. Now, Battling Tops was another cool game, and it was cool not only because more than two people could play, you could actually get six playing at a time, but just the concept was cool. You had a little plastic arena. The arena was maybe two feet square, and the edge was shaped like a hexagon, so you could fit six people around it. And at each station, for lack of a better term, at each station, there was a little notch that the Battling Top that you chose would fit. There was a little groove at the bottom and a little groove at the top where you would mount your top. The tops were basically a little spindle, maybe two inches tall, and the top had a hexagonal shaped lid on it, for lack of a better term. And each of the lids had a sticker, and the sticker proudly proclaimed the name of that top. Yes, they named each of the tops. There was Dizzy Dan, who was always good. I don't know why, but Dizzy Dan was always a good top. There was Smarty Smitty, another good top. We would always fight over Smarty Smitty and Dizzy Dan. For some reason, they always seemed to win. There was Fighting Frank. Nobody cared about Fighting Frank. Hurricane Hank. Rocky Rocco. Twirling Tim. If you're sensing a pattern here, you're right. There was one. A lot of alliteration in the game. But we had all of these tops, and what you would do is you would pick your top, and then you had your launcher. Your launcher was basically a little ripcord. It had a plastic ring on it with a long piece of string, and you would wrap your string around the top, and when you were ready to start, you would mount your top in the arena by feeding that little plastic ring through the opening and mounting the top in the notches in your station. And then on go, one, two, three, go, you would rip the ring as hard as you could, and that would cause the top to spin into the arena. Now, the arena was a little bowl-shaped thing. Not a deep bowl, but just shallow enough so that the tops would spin around, but deep enough so they wouldn't fly out. Because the tops of the top were hexagonal, they would bump into each other and bump themselves around the arena. And they'd spin around this arena, and they'd bump into each other, and they'd bump into the sides, and they'd just keep spinning around in the arena. And the object, of course, was to be the last top standing. Now, a good spin might get you 30 seconds. 30 seconds of spinning. But that's all we needed. That's all we needed for a cool battle. 30 seconds was plenty of time. Because you weren't just doing one battle. We might spend an hour doing battles. And yeah, for whatever reason, Dizzy Dan, Smarty Smitty were always winning tops. And not just because the bigger, stronger kids picked them. 
for some reason, to this day I don't remember why, they won a lot. I mean, I'm sure they didn't, but my recollection is, and I remember the perception at the time, was you wanted to play Dizzy Dan or Smarty Smitty. That's just one of the things that still stuck in my head. You wanted one of those two tops. That gave you your best chance to win. Oh yeah, not based on fact or anything, it was just the perception we had. There was another cool toy that was out there that all of the kids liked to play with, and all of the kids got one at one point or another. It was the SSP Racer. SSP Supersonic Power by Kenner. Kenner, one of the big toy manufacturers back then. Kenner, Mattel, Hasbro. Those were the big three. There were others, of course, but those are the ones that I remember. But Kenner made the SSP Racer. Now, these racers were maybe 18 inches long. In the middle of each of the racers, and I say each of the racers because they had to have a dozen different models at the very least. I remember I had a drag racer. I think it was purple, if I remember it correctly. That was the first one that I got. But the little racer had a flywheel, and the flywheel had a little gear on the side of it. And the flywheel obviously spun very freely. It had rubber on it so it would get some grip. And then there was a slot next to the gear where you would put in the ripcord. I call it a ripcord. It was a solid piece of plastic that had teeth that matched the gear perfectly. The ripcord was about maybe 12 inches, maybe 18 inches long. And you would slowly feed it into the little opening. And you would see the flywheel spin as you put the ripcord inside because the teeth were meshing. And then what you would do is you would pull that ripcord as hard as you could. And you'd get that wheel spinning. And you'd put the vehicle on the ground and it would take off. And it would go. You could get 50, 100 feet out of a good run. Just right down the sidewalk, right down the driveway, right across the garage. That thing would go. And of course, the object would be you'd take your SSP racer out, meet with your friends, and have races down the driveway. Not our driveway, of course, it was gravel. But across the street, Ray had a paved driveway. So we could use Ray's driveway. So the first SSP racer, you'd pull that ripcord, the wheel would spin. I mean, you'd hear the spinning sound, but it wasn't too noisy of a spin. It wasn't something that would drive my dad crazy. I mean, any noise would drive my dad crazy. But these were quiet enough that they didn't bother him. But in later years, the SSP racers had wheels that made noise. Now, I never got one of those, but the neighbor kids did. And you'd put that ripcord in, and you'd yank it really hard, and you'd get this high-pitched Oh, I definitely wanted a noisy one. Didn't get one. But having a noisy SSP racer, oh, that would have been cool. I did get the version of the racer called the Smash Up Derby set. Now, the Smash Up Derby set combined the best things that a kid could ever want. The high-speed racers with parts that fell off when you collided with other high-speed racers. Oh, yeah, it was like having your own demolition derby set. It was really cool. The Smash Up Derby set came with ramps. And the cars came with pieces that would fall off and thankfully snapped right back on. But they all looked like they were in a demolition derby. And thankfully, they didn't have the noisy wheels. But it was noisy enough when you smashed two demolition derby SSP racers into each other. Imagine that sound. You yank the ripcord as hard as you can. You shoot the racers at each other across the kitchen floor. Boom! Pieces flying everywhere. The car body smashing into the cupboard. Oh yeah, it was joyous. It was great. It was awesome. There was nothing better than a smash-up derby set. And we would do that over and over and over again. We would keep score. How many pieces did you knock off the other guy? How far did yours fly? Did you get a piece to go under the refrigerator? Oh, yeah. There was all kinds of fun stuff associated with the Smash Up Derby set. We loved those things. As I look back, I wonder what happened to a lot of these toys. I know that we wore a lot of them out just from overuse. 
I mean, we played with our toys. We played with them and played with them and played with them. I don't know what happened to the Skittle Bowl. I'm pretty sure we just wore out the gunfight at the OK Corral. I'm really sure that the battling tops just wore out too. We would try to replace those ripcords with other kinds of string and thread. Never found the right kind. So once we wore through those ripcords, battling tops was done for us. And the thing with the SSP racers, the ripcord that they gave you, that was a plastic ripcord. That would break after a while. And I don't remember that they sold replacement ripcords. I think if you wanted a new ripcord, you had to go buy a whole new set. That's how they kept selling the product. They made the ripcords fail. But it didn't matter. We had fun with that stuff. And we had years of fun with that stuff. That was one of the best parts about Christmas. You were getting gifts that were going to keep you entertained for literally years. And they did. I don't remember how many years I played Skittle Bowl. I don't remember how many years I played with the Battling Tops. But it was multiple years. Yeah, we loved our board games too. We had board games, Monopoly, Careers, Life, Masterpiece. We always enjoyed the board games too. But boy, those action games, those were a lot of fun. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for being here. As always, I can't thank you enough for your support, and I really do appreciate it. You guys take care of yourselves, and until next time, I'll see you when I see you.